So welcome everybody to another episode of the Football Idealist podcast. Uh, we were missing for a week, but now we're back. I'm telling you, it's been a bit, it's been a bit of trouble to get it going consistently, but we're getting there. Uh, so today we have two very special guests. Uh, for the first time, they're not uh, the members of, of the website, but uh, good, good guests indeed. We have Karen and George, both big Arsenal fans. They are on their own podcast. But, I mean, I'll let you both when you get to get when you get to it, like shout out the links and everything. But uh, I know that I've known them for a while through group chats and everything. I've been on their pod multiple times. Uh, George was on the pod for the for like a year ago, I think it's been now. Uh, when we talked about Arsenal back then, M- much different time. Like if you remember, I think it was, I think it was during the the Slavia uh, uh, tie. Oh, that is and, a long time ago. Yeah, and yeah, it was and, uh, yeah, super league. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, controversy. <laughs> Feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was before the second leg as well, so like everyone was very worried about how that was going to turn out. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, so of course, obviously, uh, I mean, I'll let you guys do yourself. Shout out your ads and and B and BOP and everything. So George, go. Yeah, as Nick said, like graciously, it's been a nice return back to the pod. You know, you can find me at George V underscore AFC on Twitter. And, you know, of course, you can find us on our uh, podcast, Ball Over Passion at BOP Footy. Uh, but yeah, mate, no, I'm doing well. You know, I'm excited because I think finally there's a lot of interesting things to talk about with Arsenal. Like, I think there's a lot of narrative yeah. smashing. There's a lot of excitement in the fan base and just through the screen, I can only look at stuff from an international perspective, but I'm seeing a lot of engagement from fans not just online but like it's the the atmosphere in the emirates seems to be miles apart from you know what it's been in years to be honest with you so now yeah mate it's it's an exciting time to be an arsenal fan it definitely is current introduce yourself mate yeah yeah um well my name's current you can find me at current bop it's probably in the description or whatever yeah it will be yeah um so and as i'm a co-host with george Unfortunately, with uh, on ball of a passion, uh, we we've decided to, to we've done quite well with it. I feel, and um, it's been coming up to a year now, which is kind of cool. But um, in terms of Arsenal, great times ahead. We're gonna have a we have a clash of ideologies here. I'm kind of in the middle of both of them, so it will be interesting to see where where um, where this takes us in terms of Arsenal's future. And yeah, it's a very exciting time to be an Arsenal fan. It's it seems like we're finally seeing some sort of progress in terms of um, the fan base and where um, I feel like the fan base is caught up to the tactical now that we've been seeing for the yeah. past, I would say a year or so. Um, but it's nice to see, uh, it's nice to see some unity and some actual positivity in the fan base instead of this, the same narratives again and again. So yeah, excited to talk to, talk to both of you. Um, I'm kind of outnumbered from two to one Greek to non-Greek, but we'll we'll see what we can yeah. do. Here. So, yeah. Let's do this. Okay, so uh, I think I wanted to make uh, the the theme of this board actually, you know, to talk about the tactics. I mean, yes, we can talk a little bit about uh, future recruitment and everything. I mean, everything. I mean, again, everyone seems to only want to talk about transfers, even though we're doing so well on the pitch right now. Uh, we'll get to that maybe later, but I wanted to really talk about the tactics. Uh, and like because Arsenal are now have been on a pretty good run recently, uh, have become more consistent. So, like before we get into the details, I just wanted to like take it back a little and look how and look a, a bit of a, a timeline throughout the the Arteta era. So obviously he comes in uh, put, and has a great impact immediately. He motivates everyone, gets them pressing, uh, passing the ball better, 
um, obviously implementing all these non-negotiables. But, you know, obviously it's from the beginning, there's trouble. It's not easy. The team can only sustain that for like 30 or 35 minutes per game. You know, the transition is tough. Uh, it's a dysfunctional squad. It's a dysfunctional, it's a dysfunctional structure all over. And then, you know, COVID strikes, we have uh, the league returns, we have the FA Cup run, which was great. And it, it seemed like at that time, everyone was really behind what was going on. But then uh, the summer was a little disappointing, I will say, back then. Obviously, we got some really good players that are key cogs of today's team. But still, we didn't get everything we needed. We go on this terrible run. And then, you know, from then on, I think there's a there's a clear cutoff point, we can say, regarding Arteta Samarason, which was a boxing day of 2020, that Chelsea yeah. game where he switches over back to the 43-1, introduces Emil Smith-Rowe, puts Saka on the right. Um, uh, Martinelli starts on the left, you know, a lot of new stuff, which, like I said, obviously starts up front, which wasn't a consistent theme up until now. But, you know, it was a, I think it was a foreshadowing of what was about to happen with all part of the team. And then, you know, ever since then, it's been very inconsistent in general. It's been better. Um, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know if it's fair to say it's been inconsistent because, you know, the, the points tally and everything has improved. But I think in terms of performances, it has been a little inconsistent. Like, in terms of the press, in terms of chance creation, we've had a few very flat games, especially at the back end of last season. And then, obviously, this season was the whole project rebuild in the summer. Many young players, a controversial window, I might say, because... Uh, personally, even though I'm I'm I, I'm a I'm a firm believer of Arteta and what Arsenal trying to do right now, I wasn't too excited about our window in general, and I've been proven wrong about that as many other people have. Uh, season starts, obviously terrible start, uh, three losses in a row, um, understandable losses though. I mean, look, uh, we've said these games obviously count, of course, but you know if you look at the team. In terms of the new signings, Odegaard wasn't playing. Uh, White only played one of these games. Uh, Gabriel didn't. Party didn't. Tomiyasu didn't. Ramsdale didn't. It was a very different team. Lacazette didn't even play a game. Um, and then, but then you know, it, it started slowly improving. Uh, three three wins on three wins in a row. But then two poor performances and two draws against Palace and Brighton. And then you know, the, and then a few more consistent results and we come to this point where we lose back to back to United and Everton away. And it seems like another point where like everyone is outraged and the Arteta <laughs> out brigade starts raging. Again. Up. And, yeah. 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 And, you know, to be honest, I was kind of worried. It's not like I, I jumped to Arteta out or anything. I haven't up to this point, but it's, it was a worrying time because, you know, we had our players back. Uh, I mean, not, every, not the full team, but, you know, most of the full team and, uh, and, and results and performance were still very consistent. But I think after that, we can say there's been a clear turning point. Uh, lots of wins in a row. Uh, I mean, obviously, in between those two rounds were uh, City, which we all know how we feel about that one. Well, let's, I think we, we shouldn't discuss that until a bit later. If Burnley I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Burnley was a bit, Burnley was a bit unlucky in general. Uh, because we missed a lot of uh, mid key players in our team. And, but after that, we've been on a very good run. Um, three wins against tough opposition, which we normally struggle against. You know, five at the back, low block. We've been inconsistent against that. Uh, and now we look uh, we look the main candidates, the favorites for top four. So, you know, I want to start with George. Uh, what do you think has... I think I know your answer, but like, what do you think has been like the... If you had to single out one key... Uh, change in the team ever since basically the Southampton game. Uh, I mean, what what's changed and how, why have Arsenal improved so much on a tactical perspective? 
for me, it's simple. It's Granite Shaka and Thomas Partey. And I mean, when you do isolate, like you talk about there's inconsistent patches of performances, but we've seen this almost two month run before, even in a pivot setup, like taking away ideologies, but we've seen that happen when Shaka and Partey are together in the team very consistently, even though it's a small sample, ironically. But in both seasons, there were six to eight game periods where when we did have those two starting in the team, our ability to sustain pressure is just miles different. And for me, when I look at it, it's a very simple formula for me. It's technical security and it's uh, stopping transitions. That equals the equation for sustaining pressure. And really the biggest difference that I've seen is this importance on being able to control your second balls in the middle of the park, but also this team has kind of evolved positionally. Um, so there's a lot of better fluid rotations. There's a lot of players, namely Martin Odegaard, who's really improved going into out, you know, understanding those rotations have been really crucial in making sure that we attack across the width of the pitch and not maybe just with a left-handed bias or with a specific pattern of play. We're no longer relying on one pattern. We're now a lot more variable, a little bit more flexible in terms of where we're attacking on the pitch. But I think that all comes down from the structure of granite and Thomas Partey. Um, I think when you look at um, kind of this team, there's a distinct difference when those two don't start together, regardless of injuries and maybe inconsistencies of what we have, as long as those two start, they dominate, they win the midfield battle. Um, and they also consistently make, you know, way more goals scored and way less goals conceded. So for me, that's the biggest change as opposed to maybe um, an ideology standpoint, because I've seen very similar uh, pros in different ideologies, depending on kind of your own subjective view of how you view the game. You know, everybody has a tactical setup that they may prefer over one or the other, but I've seen Arteta use many systems to success. Whether you want to highlight the FA Cup success, factually, it was an eight game period where we had excellent success in a different way. Um, if you want to look at a pivot, we've had excellent success in the pivot in a different way. We've had excellent success in a lone pivot in a different way, very much of recent. Um, but consistently, when you kind of mention those non-negotiables, Nick, it's really been that 2-3-5 or the 3-2-5 base structure that we've seen, that we seem to alter depending on the opponent. And, you know, that, that kind of fluidity in the team, I think um, there's been a big movement of people understanding how to fill in and where. And, you know, my biggest, biggest example that I look at is actually Cedric ironically. So I think, you know, Martin Odegaard has probably shown the biggest improvement within the squad, but I use Cedric as somebody that not many people like me included and um, his ability to kind of come into the team, but also contribute more than just being a cop, more than just being there, because there was a couple instances when, you know, when Arteta didn't have his ideal team, we didn't have smooth sailing. Like that was definitely a valid concern over his yeah, tenure. Sure. And I think it's gone beyond now having backups being good at their role but actually having an impact like Cedric is not just there to take part he has actively been very good in these games and I think it's beyond a positional advantage I think it's the team and the squad understanding where to fill in and when because this hasn't always been the case we've seen the line drop we've seen you know the counter press not be effective at times and those things are less about system ideology they're more about the players understanding where they need to be on and off the ball um, but I think in general, if I make it into one pillar, just to kind of go back in this rant, Shaka and Partey make that possible for more people in this team than without. Um, and consistently, whatever we want to employ, the team trusts that pillar. And when they're in the team, we're able to really sustain pressure, which makes us win games more.
Yeah, you're right. You're right. I I definitely agree with that. And you know, you mentioned Cedric as well, and I wanted to to say that like uh, ever since uh, I I think all of the whole time that we've seen Jack and Party together playing in the heart of Arsenal's midfield, whether it's like in a double pivot or Jack playing as an eight, regardless. We've seen that the team looks to immediately have better depth. You know, mm-hmm. people were entirely uncomfortable with Cedric playing games because we had only seen him play in the beginning of the season with like I don't know uh, El Nani and Kolasinac and Holding and those guys uh, and Odegaard at the double pivot against Man City, which didn't work that well. So Even Rob now, versus Liverpool, right? Yeah, like another yeah. example. Yeah, he's able. They were able to to step up uh, to come into the team, and you know, Cedric looks better. Uh, holding has come in, as you said. Uh, like we have, yeah, Pepe definitely we have success with n- not recently, but like we, 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 we've had some success with Oba in the past, the Spurs game, obviously. Same pivot, but different striker. We've had success with Smith Rowe on the left, Martinelli on the left, you know, a lot of uh, Tierney Tavares, a lot of different um, uh, versions. So I want to go to you, Karen, now. Uh, how do you think? Um, do you think Arsenal can sustain this run or because, you know, it's fair to say, you know, if, you know, if I want to act, you know, just to counter all these points, uh, maybe it's not that I believe that, but maybe, you know, we've seen how inconsistent we are with Arteta. So why should I think that this, this run that we've had going right now, why, why should I think that's going to sustain itself to the end of the season? I mean, there's three different reasons for me. One, um, if you look at our home record, it is it's pretty it's pretty damn decent. It's very decent, in fact. And a lot of the big six games, I think the only ones left are Chelsea and uh, Tottenham that we have to play away. I think we've got Liverpool at home and we've got um, someone else at home. I can't remember. Uh, United at home, sorry. Uh, the, apart from that, our form outside the big six has actually been sustainable over not only the past this past season but over the last calendar year and almost a year and a half now so if you're talking to me about sustainability you're talking to me about um issues that are going on in terms of um sustaining pressure i would point to to the fact that the run available is not only favorable um we're having gap we don't have any other competitions to actually compete in and the opposition that we have that are coming up against if you talk about, for example, the likes of a West Ham in the Europa League, Man United, Champions League, Spurs are just, are we, they're playing right now as we record this, but we don't know if they're going to be in the FA Cup. There's, there's people fighting on multiple fronts and the season is wearing on. Injuries will start to take their toll. And the third point, I think, is just clearly the clear improvements that Mikel has made in terms of being able to uh, be a bit more flexible in terms of his approach. I feel like there's been at times where um, I think we can all agree that we've we've been frustrated about his in-game management, especially towards the end of the last season, when yeah, he was exactly. getting a bit, it was he was getting a bit bit too frustrated with his substitutions. I think he was leaving it a bit too late at times. Um, the the Villarreal situation is a is a good example of playing uh, playing a false nine when they never really played it before. There have been issues that have been going on. I think Mikel's grown with the team this year a lot. I feel like he's much more adaptable this year. Um, there's been there's been identi- there's been an, an identification of um, having uh, a a higher eight and using uh, Granite's ability to enter the final third and at to, at to a greater ability because you have that ability to have that inside channel given to Granite and he's able to take the ball from the middle third to the to the final third. Which if you look at last season, he had the most final third entries of anyone in the league last year. So. 
is it shows that he's understanding that he needs to be more flexible. He's understood how to block break down low blocks a lot better this year. As a lot of our best performances have been against three at the backside. So, for example, uh, Wolves, Spurs, Villa at home. A lot of them have been uh, low block, you know, kind of just counter-attacking sides. I think he's understood what he has got from this team as well um, in terms of the squad. I think he's got he's, he's got more control over this team as well in terms of people that he's jettisoned, people that he's come in. And, and I was with you, Nick. I actually rated the summer 6.5 out of 10 because I was disappointed in the amount of uh the lack of departures because i thought hang on a second there's uh, there's people that we've still got here that he hasn't got rid of and he's still continuing to get rid of these players that he doesn't need and a lot of people seem to be sort of worried that we've only got a certain amount of players but he's showing that with the amount of fixtures we have you do not need a 23 man squad of 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 bloated deadwood as it were um, so yeah, I do think it's, it's sustainable. If you look at our, um, I think the the uh, xGD of our opponents left in this run is negative, which is interesting to me. I find that um, I've, that's obviously a good thing for us. It means that our, our run is actually favoring towards an easier side than a harder side. So let's see. I mean, I, I def- definitely think we're definitely the favorites. So we'll have to see what happens the rest of the season. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, that's fair. Um, obviously, as you said, aside from the tactical uh, improvements and the individual improvements and all that, you know, we have uh, there's the the schedule is favorable to us, and obviously, you know, you can have the the great the perfect tactics, but like you also need those favorable conditions to go in your favor, like you no know, like uh, fit squad and uh, and your opponents having tougher games. Uh, perhaps getting a bit lucky with opponents' injuries, you know, it's all a part of the game. Like, you know, I feel like sometimes it's happened a lot to Arteta, and you know, I get it because a, a lot of Arteta fans uh, really uh, put, you, you know, every single good thing they they give credit to Arteta for that the team does. So, you know, uh, on the other on the other hand, so that's generated the opposite reaction from a certain other uh, part of the fan base, which like they blame everything on the coach, and I think. At times, where uh, I think at times a lot of people do it, and uh, you know, it's not just Arsenal. You know, it's Chelsea. It's point scoring, well. isn't it, mate? So that they yeah. do hyperbole to justify the position that yeah. they're opposition a bit. So even yeah. if you say I like Arteta, I'm going to hyperbolize your argument to yeah. justify what you said, just yeah. to equal it. Yeah. <laughs> the the the, yeah. the other the other thing is 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 Nick is the hyperbolization of expectations. So if you're Arteta, you know, in or like a fan of Arteta, he's like, oh well, the the, the gap with the the expectation was sixth, and all the Arteta outers were saying we're going to finish eighth. So if we finish fifth, that's that's yeah. good enough. And if you're Arteta out, well, if he's not going to get top four now, it's all done. We're, I can't believe he's not even in a title race. He spent two hundred million. You know what I mean? There's this hyperbolization of expectations on both sides. On so, both sides, yeah. So it's it's interesting to me. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But you know, just as I was saying, it's just. A lot of the time, there's a lot, uh, plenty of conditions which you know they're not totally in control of the manager. Like sometimes uh, it's hap- it happens. You know, you can have a good tactical plan, and the players are just not playing well. They're not passing the ball. Uh, I don't know, like to use the word "pass" quickly enough because it's something that commentators use all the time, and it does my head in. Like, like the solution to break down low blocks just to pass quicker. It's not. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's not very late, but like a lot of the time, you know, we've seen. 
the play, I, I want to say that I want to give some credit to the players as well because they've been passing better. The passing has been more fluid. They've been pressing with more energy, and they I think men- mentally something has clicked. We, I mean, we saw in the in the Wolves game. Like, I don't know. I feel like if you are if you've been an Arsenal fan for many years and you told me that like going to the 75th minute you expected Arsenal to turn the Wolves game around, I think you were lying. To be honest, like if you watch this team play for the last 10 years, it's nobody expected. And it's, you know, I think something, and obviously it's an extremely different group to like 2015 and 2010 and 2017. It's an entirely different group. And uh, sometimes click mentally. It's, it's a part of football that is a lot of the time, but you know, by people that are into tactics, it's, it's an under-discussed part. Uh, so yeah, I think um, in my opinion, at least the two major improvements that we've seen uh, tactically in Arsenal the past few months have been, for me, it's two. It's the pressing, which is, has improved a lot. Uh, you know, we've, we haven't been falling into a mid-block. You know, I think we, we're striking a better balance. In the past, you know, we started pressing high and then after a point, you know, we were just, after we, we went ahead, we were happy to just let a foot off the gas and sit back. And, you know, at times we had seen, like, the first pressure fails and then they, the team immediately falls back without continuing over on the press. You know, you, you have to follow through, you know, it's just, it's not just press the goalkeeper and if the goal, and if the ball gets to the left back, you stop pressing. And then the other thing, which, you know, I saw a stat earlier today and tweet about, it, and I was very happy about it. It's that Arsenal have been much better, have been the team that has attacked, that has created the most chances through the middle, um, through, through the central a uh, third of the pitch, uh, uh, third horizontally, no, uh, vertically, sorry, not horizontally. And uh, and I think that's a, that's incredible because I, th- I saw someone say, that, I'm not sure about it, but I saw someone say that last year we were second to last. You you did, George? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, so many times last season, and, you know, I think there are a couple of games where it was so, where we looked threatening, but it was just so much, like, from side to side, no penetration through the middle. You know, it was... I remember particularly like the Leicester game at home where we lost last season in the end, you know, we created a lot of chances, but like it was, we couldn't get to like zero zone 14 entries. We couldn't do anything. It's like the team, it was like the left side of the team and the right side of the team. And like the only, the only player that was centrally was a striker. Right. And that, that, the, the, that kind of variability across the pitch has improved, yeah. but you know, but you know, what's interesting is like when you pair that statistic with, there was another article that came out in the athletic um, a couple months back when, when they broke down by each zone though, this time where the opposition had the more possession. And I think in red, oh, yeah, it, shows, yeah, yeah. I think it was your yeah. own, but something that was really interesting actually is that um, that um, area of the pitch, the zone 14, we still aren't very good at. And even in the right yeah. half space, it still is occupied by the opposition. But what I find really encouraging is this recent article showed there's the intent of a lot of our passing patterns to yeah. come central. So that just means to me, there's a quality issue central, which shock horror we know about, um, you know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, the fact yeah. that I think Lacazette is so in the middle third of the pitch the one thing that i don't think gets talked about enough is our third man running it's been massively improved in every single player and every single person's intent to get in the box has been way bigger this year than it has the year before like we all have debates about players right like martin odegaard and neil smith rowe the famous number 10 debate but one thing that's consistent between the two of them is their third man running both of these people are running at the middle of the box far more with more frequency and efficiency than they were last season and I think that's a big reason why the central zone is bigger, even though our opposition dominates there, if that makes sense. And, and that's because yeah. our patterns of play are really to enforce that. Like, I think that should, that kind of explains 
the, the issue because you would assume if we have more patterns there, we must have more possession there, but no. we actually don't. <laughs> like that's actually yeah. not it. And so I think if we improve quality, it's encouraging because then you start saying, okay, if my patterns are there where I'm equal left and right, but I'm really good central, if I improve the quality there, my goals will shoot up. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that, that for me excites me the most. And then you change those little blue squares of the red. zones that were more oppositions to red. And then you're like, Oh my God, we're a city 2.0, which by the yeah. way has been backed in stats all season. So I think, yeah. I think that's maybe where a lot of fans draw trust and, you know, a lot of faith in. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think, I think one of, one of the, I think one of the reasons that you didn't mention about the, the improvement centrally, I think, I, I mean, I don't think it's, it's not backed up. I don't have the stats in front of me, but what I've noticed in the past few games was how we've used, uh, we've, how since the return of party to the side after AFCON, we've been a lot better at progressing the ball centrally. Like, you know, I remember you said that you, that you prefer him going to like being a right half space progressor, but the, the, we've used more so Ben White for that role, I think, and Odegaard dropping in and Tommy Yasmin, he's been available. Party has been central. And obviously, you know, it, it took it took quite a while to, for this to happen. You know, obviously he had some fitness issues and everything, but, you know, I, I, if you remember last season, games that Thomas Party played as a six, he was, he was losing the ball a lot. And it's the main criticism of people that don't like him in that position. But I think recently... Aside from how many times he gives away or everything, which which has which has reduced, I think in general we've used him a lot uh, to get the ball uh, through the through the middle. Like the, it's the player, the, his teammates trust him a lot. I feel you know they give it to him in like the most improbable situation where he's pressed from three sides because they know he's gonna body fan his way out of it. And you know he's good at receiving centrally and he's also good at firing ball centrally. Uh, so yeah, I think you know a lot of we've been. And, you know, and also, as you said, George, you know, when you when you go through the middle, uh, it's a lot easier to then go out wide. So so like when you because like when you when you go into the left or when, you, for example, you're attacking all the game through the left. Obviously, there's this famous pattern of like overloading the left to then attack the right. But that's that's predictable. I think it gets predictable at this point. So if you start through the middle, it's a, you have a lot more optionality to go through the right or through the left. You know what it uh, is, mate? Like I really use it. I know nobody likes math, but just logically, it's 180 view vision yeah. centrally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas if you're on one side of the pitch, it's always going to be 90, depending on where you're facing. Just just factually, yeah. there's there's yeah, always it, a side blocked. Yeah, the touch line. Yeah, it's blocked. So yeah, yeah, I agree there. You're right. Um, so yeah, I think. Um, I think it, obviously you know it's been a lot better centrally. One of the other things I've other no, I've noticed is uh, is Odegaard getting a lot more centrally. Obviously we we want him to go to to be going wider as well. But I think you know he's improved into he's been more brave into getting in those positions centrally, and uh, and obviously the, the patterns have been improved. You know there's been a, uh, our our passing has been clean. Those combinations going from right to central have improved. And I've seen Odegaard you know receiving the ball centrally. Uh, in order to play the killer pass to the striker or the left winger coming in, uh, and I think that that's I think that's been notice, noticeable. Like I, I I remember seeing against Wolves a real nice pattern where Cedric overlapped to overload the left, and then Odegaard was central was in zone 14, and he found him with a ball because Saka was occupying the half. It's, it's just you know again as you said, optionality. It's, it's been so much better lately, and I hope it continues. Um, so. Uh, it must be said just really quickly because everyone yeah. patterns me as an Odegaard hater and I'm really not. Um, but like one of the big things that he's really improved this year is two, two things, right? His um, technical security and contact is much better. 
it is like when you look back yeah, at those definitely. Brighton games, the Palace games, it wasn't just positionally. He was losing the ball way too loosely. Yeah, and he was getting bullied. Yeah. Yeah. He was getting, and he doesn't do that anymore. So, so credit to him. Right. And another thing he is going into out a lot more. Like when you look at Brentford, you look at the wolves, how many times did you see him in the wide channel that there were yeah. quite a few times and he's pushing yeah. Saka inside and that, that willingness to run, it opens the pitch. Right. Like it's 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 less about me, the physical portion, but having two players that can go in and out means the opposition can't focus on a man marking job on you. And that's been the biggest thing, because it kind of eliminates that low block that a lot of people do. So you have a low block right to to stave off the pressure. But people used to just triple team Saka and I call it Jordan rules just because the boys are best player. But when you have Odegaard making those willing runs and Cedric, who's able to do that. The opposition can't focus on Saka because now they know that there's always going to be a wide option. There's always going to be somebody going there. So you need to almost make your uh, defense zonal and that benefits us, right? Because then when that's zonal, you go one V one and then it's a matter of, can I beat you? So I think that's the biggest improvement because he has gone central, but for me that like that flexibility where it's not predictable, it's not like, for example, Kieran's always left wing. That's not yeah. the case, right? We've seen it. And in fact, even the Brentford goal, like the deadlock's broken by that overlap, ironically, um, and that rotation. But I think there's a lot more flexibility in this team where it's like we may start with people high, i.e. Granite Shaka, but there's moments where this team understands that he doesn't have to stay there. And I think yeah. this, this idea of zones over formations is like, one of my favorite phases since I was Saliba season uh, so, so yeah. long ago. But I, I, I yeah. think that's, that's a huge improvement in the team. Yeah, we'll get to the, to the zones of formation thing. We'll get to it later. Uh, I just want to say, you know, with, with the whole Saka triple team thing, uh, we always, I think, you know, as a fan base, because we love Saka and because he's so good again, you know, when he's so good at getting out of trouble when, he's, when he has two men on him or even three at times, we've always treated, treated it as a good thing, the fact that he's getting <laughs> triple team. But to be honest, I bad. think, you know, if you look, it's not good. It's, it's, it's the fact that, te- yeah, the fact that teams were willing to put three men on him, it's because they didn't worry about anyone else on that side. But this has not been the case the last few games. Cedric has given an overlap. I'm, I'm interested to see how Tomiyasu does in that role uh, because I think he can do it, but I just think he hasn't, I think he has the skills to do an overlap, but, but I don't think he's, uh, he's, very co- he's very confident going to the final third. Like he's hesitant with his cross and all that. But I think, I think he has the technique and the, and the physicality um but yeah this has been a note i mean to be honest i haven't even noticed it that much but like now that you said it the, the whole triple thing I, I i thought we've barely man seen city it was a key the man city game. was a massive example of it though like man yeah, city, yeah they were going yeah. i think it was ake stones yeah yeah it was and, it, it uh, was big yeah it was, a, it was a lot of people on him at one time yeah i mean i think that i think we're down to 10 men at that point though so it made more sense to like oh even in the first half a, even in the first half they were doing it yeah, I think they put yeah, yeah, Ake, yeah. Ake, Ake couldn't handle him and uh, they, they bought Stones. There was Ake, there was Diaz, but I think like for yeah. me, but I, that's why I do focus on Brentford, I'll be honest, Nick, like in this, in this like eight to 10 game run, right? There was great yeah. performances, but I almost marked, okay, City was the landmark, but after that we had, we struggled a bit. Uh, of course, with context. Yeah, but but then and it, it wasn't. Didn't get... and it wasn't even made Premier League games. It was it just wasn't. one. It was the Burnley game. No, yeah. exactly. It was the and Burnley game. The, and then when you yeah. get to the Burnley game, we deserve to win. But for me, the real um, kind of eyes out moment was Brentford. And then from Brentford on, we've consistently dominated teams excessively in that area. And I think that's when I really noticed 
the positional fluidity, like that yeah. willingness of Cedric, that willingness of Odegaard. Yeah. And we saw it in both Wolves games and Brentford. Yeah, yeah. I, I was impressed because like I was sitting like pretty much pitch side. I was in the second yeah. row on the Brentford game and I was it was right in front of me, the right side. And it was like there was so much movement, whereas mm -hmm. I remember sitting at that point against Newcastle and I remember oh, it was just Saka. Yeah. <laughs> but now it was... It was much better. Just want to get back to the press because, you know, obviously, you know, we've, we've, we've pointed out that like when you retain the ball better and when, you, and when you're able to sustain pressure, pressing comes easier. But I think it's also improved um, in, yeah, in a settled phase, which I think mm -hmm. that's how you judge a press. I mean, anyone can counter press if you have like half all your team in the, in the opponent's final third. It's not easy for the other team to get the ball out of there. But like, I think against Wolves was like a very classic Arteta pressing performance. Like it, it reminded me. It was me. different though, Nick, like home and away, yeah. they were very different. And like, we talked yeah. a lot about it on our podcast, but <laughs> the decision to go zonal versus man marking on Ruben Neves, for example, was a very distinct difference home and away, even within yeah. the press. Like we, we've started to do this like four, two, three, one press, of course, where I think last year was more of like three, two, two, three. Um, yeah. in broad terms but we've really done this thing where Laka or Odegaard has sat on the DM and we've been zonal in other areas but we've, want, we've gone man-to-man central centrally first yeah. ball progressor yeah and that's yeah. happened at three of the back teams it happened at Leicester with Samare it happened at Villa with Louise it happened at Spurs even with Weiberg like if you go back we saw glimpses of it but this press, like you say, in the settled form has been absolutely immense. And, and I just saw a difference because, again, away at Wolves, we didn't do that. We went zonal. Yeah. And I think to our detriment, because we saw Trincao getting a lot of space in the first half. And, you know, we basically saw Neves operate really quite well away, whereas home, yeah. that man-to-man -man marking yeah. was very different. Left-hand side, but even on the right, when, when like Moutinho would go in, I think that primary ball progressor of the opposition is man-to-man. Everything mm -hmm. else has been zonal to almost funnel it wide or funnel it away from that person to cut off the lanes because we use the touch line as you know an, an option Extra to kind of yeah, right yeah. and we push up with our fullbacks to really squeeze that space but that yeah. central option is always man-to-man -man. that's what yeah, I've noticed. Always. yeah 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 i mean there's, there's two, there's, there's, yeah there's two yeah, points on, really with um with the press one as george mentioned it's basically what we've identified this year is about how to uh, block progression through their main progressor. We've identified a progressor in opposition teams, as George mentioned, uh, Douglas Louise, Bilkar Samare, Pierre Emil Hoibier. But we've identified, okay, if because the thing is, I feel like we, I don't know if you guys remember, we were going 4 4 2 for a while. We had both Alba and Laka on the pitch at the same time. And yeah. it was getting to a point where um, he, Mikel would just go, you know, Laka, just, just, Go to the go find their DM and just sit on him, basically just just get him and and, and block it and then it starts to work and I feel like if you have the ability because if you, the, the whole point of a four two three one I'm sure we're going to get into it is to keep your your pivot uh you have you want to keep basically your central compactness you want two in the middle to funnel as George mentioned the the opposition wide you want to use the the touchline as as an extra defender and you want to basically force your opposition to go long. And go say, look, we're, we're not going to allow you to come centrally. Either you're going to hit your wingers and they're going to go, or we're going to hit your fullbacks and they're going to go. And as you, we all know, that pass to the fullback miscontrolled and results, results in, a turp, in, a, in a turnover so, because it's just a throw in. So the whole point of our press this year, I think, and I think where's Mikhail's improved greatly this year is 
recognizing and identifying specific uh, situations in which you have to you have to hit your man. You have to make sure that that is the non-negotiable. That the press is whenever we've played well, it's always been because we've identified their main ball progressor and sass on him. And if it's a centre back, we've tried to sit off him and make sure the lanes are are blocked basically. So, yeah. for example, um, with even with John Stones, I don't know if you remember the Man City game because Rodri was 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 dropping into that three, and John Stones would, would, would walk up. So it was a case where we would have the ability to basically just sit and and block the lanes because he was trying to you know advance as John Stones does, and I feel like that balance between both blocking passing lanes and being able to hit your man and and win your duels uh, is a credit to not only Mikel but also both to Jaka uh, and Partey because you have the ability to say look you've got two people there that are able able to hoover up second balls and able to press their their man if if they enter their zone. So it's very much a case of um, central compactness with the ability to identify where you want to to allow your opposition to to uh, be pro- progress the ball basically, which is which is interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it all goes back to Party and Jack. I mean, without yeah. without them, without them, you can't do that press because you know. Uh, a lot of those teams, we've dared them to go long all the time. And so, for example, I remember the West Ham game. We pressed really well that game, right? And West Ham generally do go long. That's that's their bread and butter. That's how they get up the pitch. Uh, they hit the ball in the channels and then win the second ball, right? And we dared them to do that. And they and and we beat them at that game because we had Pard and Xhaka uh, winning everything. And, and obviously, White and Gabriel winning the first ball and then... Um, I, de- I definitely want to just sorry like add on like white yeah. it's really important because the aggressive line yeah together get, with the party yeah, yeah. shaka security mm-hmm. blanket is super important because i think yeah. even earlier in the season when we weren't that relaxed line allowed the pivot to be isolated i think that was a big reason why we saw the island like it's less about the 4-3-3 and ideology but it was more about how we played it like yeah. brighton and, and you know palace the reason that we saw the island um, is less to do with, you know, Partey, um, you know, being uh, less than ideal, which was a little bit the case. Like, let's be fair, he's up the level technically, but it was yeah. more about our line. Like, we weren't closing the spaces enough. And so, um, like you said, I think it gives us the security blanket where there were so many times White would step aggressively to Chan Lee, would step aggressively to Jimenez, even when they did go long, yeah. we would win the ball. So it was like, from both sides, we squeezed the pitch enough that we, that we trust to go man-to-man because man-to-man is very dangerous pressing when it goes wrong. And we see that with leads, (laughs) like, right. But I I think that the the thing that gives us that security to do it, even with players, by the way, that aren't athletically inclined, like Odegaard isn't the best one-to-man, man-to-man presser. He's always a willing presser, but he's not necessarily successful in the pressures all the time, but that doesn't matter. Because we have that security blanket, but that if he guides them to the wing, we're able to zonally close off that passing lane. So even if they go long, White's there. If they go long, Gabrielle's there. Like, I think that for me has been the biggest, you know, bonus that these two guys in the middle of the park give us the security to do those things higher up the pitch, to gamble, to, to even use a player who's maybe not ideal in quotations, but still succeed beautifully in doing it um, by going man to man. You don't need... Um, a physical monster to do that role you, you don't yeah. um, you just need yeah. the security behind 
that yeah. they're able to close space quickly and effectively. And then you the, can gamble and then you can do that. The, the other thing is, is it's a simple point, but I, 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 it can't be understated. The fact that you have both Gabrielle and White able to step and get, get into that final half and really close the pitch off, try to use the, the, the halfway line as you know an offside trap and really try and push the line up has also allowed our attacking players to really get into people's faces and really actually get and push the press a bit higher up. Because you could see at times with when we had Holding and Gabriel that you didn't have the recovery pace to push the line up as high as you'd want to. Now with White there, you have a you have the ability to say, look, if you beat us on on that long ball, we have the recovery pace to you know hit and 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 recover the ball back. Uh, it's that added confidence when you have that those two centre backs at the back line, and that and the fact that they're so, both so high, it allows for your um for your two three five to actually even if it in, if it loses the ball to to track into the four two three one press quite easily, and in in minimal space as well. So you have your bodies where you need them instead of having to you know, be cautious. You are you are allowed to hit, you allow players to 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 hit their individual jewels instead of actually you know being cautious about who's behind them. It allows for a more aggressive press. So I think that's key as well. Yeah. I think White's been a massive addition in terms of our press just in general. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought like the Wolves game was like a really good example as to why Arteta wanted White to partner Gabriel because a lot of the time we saw. We saw Gabriel, he was really good at like controlling the aerial duel, you know, with Jimenez. He was onto him all the time and he didn't let him win anything in the air. He was on his back all the time and, you know, he, he mostly dealt with a with a long balls. And then with White, he was on uh, on Huang, who played uh, as, a, as a left wing, but more so as a, second, as a second striker. He was in the half space and, you know, White was it was a, he was the one that was dropping in deeper to receive the ball to feed and White was always on him. He was... It was uh, especially the second half where we were pushing on for for the comeback. It was like a, a masterclass from Ben White into like engaging your opponent from behind uh, in order to to win the ball back uh, after after the long, after the vertical pass. So yeah, I think uh, those two have been another reason uh, why we've been uh, why why our press have improved. It's that it's that box, you know. I, th- I think George, you have talked about a lot about mm-hmm. you know the box of the two central midfielders, um, the two center backs in the four four two, whereas they. You know they're the key cog into how how you're gonna press teams, and you know because you can you can press teams successfully, but then if they try to go long, they can beat you that way. But you need to in order to complete the press, you need to have the people who are gonna win the first and second ball, and then also have enough technical security that they can you know not just knock it back forwards, but like control the ball. Use it, yeah, and use <laughs> it, and like yeah, that, that's awesome. Like you see white. He steps up, wins the ball, and like right outside the final third, and then he gets yeah. to the final third, and he knows where to pass. I mean, that doesn't happen with like Rob Holding or like Rob or like Per Mertesacker back in the day. That doesn't really happen. But why even David Louise, like I loved him, but why he was a big upgrade on David Louise is even Louise, he would drop the line deep. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, and he, he would really expose that long ball which he had in his locker, yeah. no doubt. But he himself, he wasn't as aggressive in the space off the yeah. ball. Yeah, th- that's why he only worked well in the, in the back three centrally because, you know, he yeah. by the time he joined us, you know, he was great for, I actually think, you know, he had some bad moments with the red cards. and everything. He was very he was, good for us generally. He was very good, but he was finished physically. Like, he had no yeah. pace left. And, like, that's why he, he didn't really do well. Like, I yeah. think these bad players were, like, when he played in the fourth at the back, but, like, during the FA Cup run and last season we played at a, with a three, he was uh, fantastic for us in general. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
but yeah, but obviously, you know, you need uh, in order to be like an aggressive team, you need athletic players. It's it's the one thing we've learned with uh, with Liverpool and with City and even with team like uh, like red like the Red Bull teams. You know, then they recruit athletic players all over the pitch who they can not only uh, press but also they can not only press high up but also complete the press when the ball gets to the midfield. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a good transition now because we were, we've been talking about the midfield and the double pivot and the forty-three and everything. Um, I think you know, I think at this point, you know, we had a lot of debates because you know I've been more of a, uh, I've been promoting the four-three-three a lot. Uh, George has been has really wanted a double pivot. Karen, I think, has been a little bit in the middle. On the I mean, fence. definitely in the middle, not on the <laughs> yeah. fence. Uh, let me clarify, yeah. right? Okay, I prefer yeah. I prefer a four-three-three. I always have. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I've indoctrinated him. You know, you didn't indoctrinate me. What happened was, is I my 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 football has come from a combination of Wenger and Cruyff, right? Yeah. Those are those are my two footballing idols, and I've always loved the four three three. But as as football always is, it's cyclic, and at this moment in time, to win games in the Premier League, it seems like the 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 way that looks like it will be easiest to win games and the most dominant way to win games is the pivot. So I'm just saying, like at this moment in time. The pivot is probably going to be yeah. where we're going to need to to win games. But if you're talking about me as a football purist, I'm a four three three guy. I always have yeah. been. Yeah. So there's yeah. there's a difference. There's a there's a there's yeah. some nuance. There. Nah, I I fully get you. I fully get you. But like I think at this point we can all agree. Like I don't think there's any Arsenal fan that like wants us to defend in like a with like a four three three or like a four five one. I think we've no, at this no. point we all know that we defend with a double pivot. So, you know, because like, you know, we've also received a lot of questions about like the recruitment in midfield and why I've been so hesitant to give an answer about that is because it's impossible to find the player that like is Xhaka, but like better going forward. It's, it's like, I don't know who it is. It's like, I don't know, uh, Sedor or I don't know who it is. I mean, there's a food, there's a food staple that can do it, but yeah, <laughs> there is a food yeah. staple that can that can do it. But if we, you know, what it is really... for me, Nick, though, mate. Like again, we all have our subjective things, but I think we need to stop with these formation things of a high yeah. eight because for me, it comes down to that zone over formation kind of transition, mm, and we need yeah. to understand that we're not talking about a four three three, we're not talking about a four four two, we're talking about a two three five. That is what we're talking yeah. about. And, and, and how we move those pillars is going to depend on the opposition. And so here, one of the best examples that you love and I love is the dreaded Husam Awar. But the reason I love yeah. him so much, okay, is say you had my ideology, in a sense, and you wanted the pivot and, you know, you wanted him and he would function in a, in a left wing in that role. He wouldn't be deep in the pivot. You know, we'd have someone else there, but he, he would be kind of a left wing or a pseudo tech. The reason that I love Husam Awar so, so much is he can turn into that eight with a simple sub of taking away one of the pivots and adding a target. Man. Yeah. And, and that becomes a, an in-game shift that we don't need to rely on a sub to do, right? You, you really don't. You're, at, you're adding another attacker, right? But you're able to transition in midfield without sacrificing a player or a sub. And that yeah. flexibility is what's beautiful. So you recruit that type of profile, but that doesn't mean that you can't recruit another anchor, for example. And it's not an anchor only for a double pivot. It should be an anchor that you know you could do with two eights in theory, right? Yeah. Like you should you should recruit players to do multiple roles on the pitch that can go in different zones, right? Like you're not looking for a role necessarily and and i think that's the biggest thing at least for me recruitment wise when i look at it yeah um 
where I'm, I'm not looking at an eight per se. I'm yeah. looking at people that can operate in different zones of the pitch. So if I have yeah. a player, is he comfortable wide as much as he is inside? Um, you know, can he do that both sides? I like that type of player. Yeah. Is he a ball carrying progressor? Yes, I like that type of player. That's clearly something Arteta values, you know. And yes, if you're if you've ever watched some of my stuff, the dreaded five yard burst is something that I love <laughs> to see in my players because for me it's an extension of you know hitting those long spaces like we've yeah. talked about it. And you know, especially if you're going to defend in a four four two, every single player has to defend big spaces. Yeah, because exactly. we're gonna we're, we're gonna be a halfway line defending team, right? Yeah. So those are some requirements, I guess, when I get into transfer talk and I talk with people, I find there's way too much FIFA arguments, but George, he's not a high eight and a three. He's not this. I'm like, well, if you're looking for that profile, I can suggest to you somebody that is like that. I don't think we should. We should be looking at players that can do multiple things. Sure. Let me give you some counterpoints though at this point. Look, uh, I think I I agree with pretty much everything you said. However, I think the problem, so like if you so like we're probably signing a midfielder like definitely and I think uh, it's going to be someone in the maybe we sign a war as well I don't know but like probably it's going to be someone that's in the Jaka mold that he's going to replace Jack in the starting lineup if he goes which he probably will right and my point is here if you recruit a double pivot specialist you don't really have the versatility to like go into a 4-3-3 in game like you do or, or like no 4-3-3 but like high 8 like you do with Jaka I mean not, not that he's perfect for this role but you don't really have that versatility, right? Um, you know, for example, let's say you bring a DM and you play him next to parties like the two DMs. You don't. It's it's not easy. You basically come. You basically commit yourself to a double pivot. I mean, oh, sure, you can change it with subs, as you said, but I think you commit yourself a little bit there. So that's why I think. Do, do you, you think so summer. though? So like my counter that I always use. So like Husam Awar is one of those Swiss Army knives that we call right. We have one of those in Emil Smith Rowe, in yeah. theory. So say you were to, and it's not just a DM, but say you get that lone anchor, right? And, and you know, you push Partey up. What, what you would need in theory is it's not a Tomiyasu that you're getting, but you're getting a Brook Norton Cuff on, on, on the right. Now, if you don't yeah. recruit that player and you recruit the high eight, you're committing to Tierney a little bit deeper long-term. But we also have that different profile in Tavares. We don't, yeah. that right back. So for me, it's less That's about... Good. It's less about committing to, to like, is it a DM versus eight argument? For me, it's about filling the profiles everywhere. And that just gives you flexibility because we all have our subjective viewpoints again. And I think when you look at the four, three, three, and you look at the pivot again, you're more looking at the two, three, five. And for me, we've seen enough sample in both areas that have been very successful that it's impossible to say, this is the direction that we're going because no team actually is doing that. The, the one thing that you can say are those non-negotiables, which is two, three, five, four, four, two block and a press yeah. that involves a man to man with zonal coverage. I, th- I think those are the three like certainties we can be sure about, for example. Yeah. Um, I mean, the uh, main yeah. thing, uh, I just, 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 go on, um, the main thing um, I feel like I think needs to be discussed is I feel like a whole point of our recruitment has to be someone that is, adaptable to both formations because sure. game, yeah. game state does change constantly so for example say we're one nil down and we're in a pivot and we need to be chasing the game you've got to have that ability to push your your left side or the right side of your pivot and go look you need you to, to push into that interior role you need to you need to be higher up and hit that inside channel 
and try and get into that that um, get into spaces that we need you to basically be in to create and pro progress the ball into the final third. Like we we need to, I think we need to get away from this idea that that we have a a, a formation that is like one formation and that's it the entire game. Game state alters formations and different periods of game alters how you approach the game and the, the the progression of a game will alter how you achieve how you look at and and tactically evolve through that game so it's not only through substitution because let's not forget you only have three substitutions you have to be have players that are flexible to play multiple roles and then be able to be comfortable in multiple zones and I think that's very key in terms of recruitment. I think Mikel has been pretty, pretty, pretty. Uh, what um, it is also, currently is people, what people have, and we get into these nitty gritty arguments about numbers, eight, sixes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But the big thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is there's some band-aid fixes just philosophy wise that this team, for example, centrally, we don't have it. Like, like when you look at it, there's, there's a big bandaid and a knock-on effect that happens. So say you add a central presence to where Odegaard, that improves Odegaard, that improves Saka, that improves so many areas of the pitch that it gives you different possibilities as well, that the knock-on effects there is, do we need to have Kieran so reserved, for example, if you have a big enough central presence that you rely on and is an outlet up there? Now you have two outlets that we've seen that can receive under pressure in the half spaces. Does that solve things? In my opinion, it kind of does. It gets you up the pitch because now it's, it's less about leaving through one area. It's less about white, for example, progressing. Absolutely. If you have somebody that you can rely on to receive in those areas. Mm. And, you know, we haven't had ESR fit, you know, necessarily at the same time as all of these youngsters fit, you know, him and Martinelli. I wonder what we're going to see, like, you know, Nick, you know, We've we may experiment in, in those youngsters in terms of what we're yeah, seeing right sure. now, which Arteta has alluded to, by the way, um, sure. you know, multiple times recently. So uh, I really think um, if I had to like stake my claim on it, I've always been a versatility monger because um, there's going to be periods where we're going to love both areas of the pitch, but ultimately, if you don't have that option, we can't use it, and so you become predictable, and that's the last thing that you want to be in um, the modern game. I think like it's, it evolves so much. I mean, you look at it with Liverpool and Chelsea, we broke that down kind of the other week. And I thought entertainment other night, game, George. Um, week. <laughs> sorry, not a week, like literally it's yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> um, but like we broke that team, that, that game down. And, like there was a lot of very interesting tactical things. Like it shows if you have Matic and Henderson and that Liverpool team, it's an impact for them. And, you know, they have the mm. same structure, but that quality jump, is huge. You saw what Kanade was able to do, keeping up the line and whatnot. So I am wondering what happens when you start to fix the big holes in the team, um, yeah. namely the striker, <laughs> and what that effect has on the rest of the team. Like you saw what uh, the security Shaka and Partey gives to Odegaard, for example. Sure. What does that do for our wingers when you have a striker that can receive under pressure? As well as like our fullbacks. As well as our fullbacks, because that's what I was getting to. Like, yeah. what, what what do our fullbacks do now that they know they have a central reference, both sides, not just one? They can rely on two people in different areas of the pitch. Like, it opens options for players, and I don't have the answers really. I have an idea of what I think we should do. <laughs> Everyone does, but mm -hmm. I think recruitment-wise, you always want to make sure that you're entering the season with all the options on the table, not just 
one. Maybe that's a cop-out, but that's kind of how no, I see the priority. You, you basically want to increase your ability to create from multiple areas as well as from multiple methods. I think one of the major things this season has been our ability to, um, to score from set pieces as well. I think that's been, I think that we've mentioned that so far. I mean, that's been a major um, outlet of goals. I mean, Leicester, I think we had, I mean, we had this whole period that everyone was having Nico Yova AVIs. Everyone seemed to be loving, loving the dude. And we've, we've been very good at set pieces this year. And when the point I was trying to make is, is that when you have multiple uh, outlets for creation of, of shot creating actions, you have the ability to not rely on one specific avenue and you can be less predictable as George mentioned. So you want the maximum ability to um, vary things and give teams different looks. It's like in basketball, Nick, I mean, we're both basketball fans. So you, you, you yeah. want to, you want to, you want to basically, you don't want to just rely on your pick and roll offense. You want to be, be able to hit the low block. You want to be able to yeah, just yeah. kick out wide. You know what I mean? It's like, you want to have multiple outlets. Yeah. You want versatility basically. Yeah. And that gives you the ability to, um, especially against harder teams, when route one won't work, you can go to- a Actually, you know what? I have a question for like Nick and, and also you, Kern, as well. Mm. But do you think part of the reason that Arsenal fans, but fans in general, select a magic pill profile, a unicorn player to get you to the success land is because they're super anxious about getting there? Like I find it, you kind of described it earlier in the podcast, Nick, where you were like, I need Shaka, who's really good in the final third, but who the hell yeah. is that player? <laughs> like, are we talking, a, you know, a Jude Bellingham or, a, you know, a Graven Birch who are maybe the closest there, but we're kind of describing Probably. a unicorn that doesn't really exist. Yeah. And, and so I'm just wondering, is that just because fans are anxious about getting to the top again? And they're like, we need a one pill, a magic pill, it will fix yeah. us. Like, yeah, I, I wonder yeah. if that's society in a little yeah. bit. It's it's like the striker that like combines Obama Young and Lacazette and Isaac exactly. and Vlahovic all of them into one. You know the target man that can drop deep and create and <laughs> score. It's, yeah. It doesn't really it doesn't really exist, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get your point here. What what I want to say really is just that for me philosophically, I prefer. I mean, it's not even just the four three three in general. It's the 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 basically having the numbers, the lone six, you know, whether that's a four, three, three or a three to five or what, or a whatever, or a two, three, five. <laughs> I like having the lone six because I think that makes your build up more versatile. You basically, you, you, I, th I think, you know, one of the th problems I've had with our dad, especially there was a, at some point this season where I was getting frustrated because I thought like we commit so many players to the build up, And then by the time we get the final third, it's like two guys because like everyone is dropping. And so like, for example, I remember there were some, I was analyzing a game. I don't remember what it was. It was like Everton or something. And I remember we were building up quite nicely, right? But then for some reason, Xhaka was sitting next to party. And it's like, why? Why? I mean, well, you have a player in that zone, right? You, I don't want, the double pivot doesn't really do it for me because I think that's a zone. I mean, if you have a player that's capable of playing as a lone six, which we do have, I don't think you need a player holding his hand there. So, for example, I think, you know, with a four, with a, with a well, committing the double pivot, it would be, you'd have the two players, like we had Party and Xhaka, maybe Xhaka dropping it into the left back, and then you'd have Tierney high up, and then you'd have a player, the left winger occupying the half space. It becomes a little too, it becomes a little too structured, I think. Whereas the 4-3-3, which, or like, or like, let's just, let's describe that in zones, number six, high and wide wingers two eights in the half space and like the fullbacks just not as high, not like, uh, like, 
slightly deeper. I mean, inverted is like, it's a bad term. Everyone uses it. It feels like no one knows what it means. Let's just say deeper fullbacks. Um, I feel like it's better because it allows you the versatility to like, it's it's like the, the pitch is like, it's it's there's symmetry everywhere, which I like. And like, it's easier to do positional rotations, uh, you know, especially if you have the players required. Mm. So like, you know, when you have, I thought a lot of the time we have, Tierney was, has been great for us, you know, playing as a left winger, essentially, uh, up until this point, uh, up until we switched to like uh, a 4-3-3 uh, in quotation marks, big, and playing high up the pitch and being like the outlet up uh, high up. But like, I feel like, you know, I remember Brentford away in the beginning of the season. It was basically, our game plan was like, it was just Tierney, you know, getting 1v1 and crossing. So I think if you have a left back that high up the pitch, uh, it's tough to like have any variation. Like your left back can't come inside, right? He can't. I mean, or whereas as you, if you have your winger there, I feel like I prefer. With, like I said, if you have the winger there, it's easier for him to drop deeper or go inside. I feel like the the profiles that you need that you that you use when you have uh, a three man midfield with a with a pl- with a player at the number six and then two. Uh, in basically equal uh, height, you know, in, but like in the half space, but like in a not one deeper, one higher, you know. Basically, I'm describing a four-three-three in like zone terms. Yeah, right. I feel like so two, two, I feel basically like you're basically was... describing a two-two-six. I think. I think are we are we are we, are we no, no, also, no 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 two-three-five no no you're describing a four-three-three basically a four-three-three because because you're yeah, saying you have symmetry. If you want symmetry in a four-three-three, you need your Basically, your six to either rotate to one side, or are you having the six central no, and no, having three, I, three, three, one build up, and then are you going three no, one, I, and then no, I mean, you know, I, I mean, the center backs are being split by the number okay. six. I mean, not not in the same level. The number six is a little yeah. higher, and the number six. Yeah, so, so a not, three two five by three. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, I mean, maybe I don't know how you call it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it sounds. I, it sounds. Know, like I, I, feel, I feel like. Describing the formation that we play right now with a term like three to five or two three five, I think it doesn't do enough justice. Like Cedric overlaps, he stays deep. Tierney does mm. the same. Xhaka drops deep, goes into left winger spot. You know, I remember like Xhaka all the time in, against Wolves, he was getting into left wing positions in order to attract the fullback and get Martinelli yeah. going. Like there's so much versatility there. So I feel like if you commit yourself to like the 43-1 that they had earlier under Arteta, while it was effective, I thought it was a little too one-dimensional because the fullback was Do you was think though, range. Nick, it, it's less about the formation, but the players understanding how to rotate there? Because when you're talking about Granite Shaka... Yeah, but, but it's the, the starting wide... zones as well. It's the starting zones, right? So if you have... if You have you, you want the pseudo-10, right? If you have the left winger being at number 10, right? Because Awar, he's not really a player that like can get go on the left wing and like get by three players like your traditional left winger. So no. if you have him on the left wing, you basically commit your left winger being in the half space right and that commits the left back being out wide so i mean yeah, so i think i think i think what you're describing gives us actually less versatility than what i'm describing that's really my my issue with what you're saying i don't i honestly i don't know because uh my biggest thing is i think we end up doing a little bit of semantics where a winger who's really good in and out for me is similar if you've got a fullback that's really good in and out ultimately regardless of your starting positions yeah, end sure. up in a in an end period with five channels and you need at minimum two players that are elite in and out because we've seen rotations like you said with Shaka wide but mm. for example that's not a traditional 433 that that's 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 sure. not really the 
the rotation that you would want in, in theory. But we've also seen Cedric, and, it, and it's not that it's wrong. It's just because I think that the players have understood where to fill. And we call it in coaching terms like a shadow. It's almost like a press, right? Like if I go man-to-man on one, there's a shadow marker. And, and that, that shadow marker goes to support as a second or a third man. And for me, that's the rotation that's been really great to see personally. Um, I, I think in the versatility part with having a lone pivot there, it's tough because I see a lot of players in the same zones on the right when we build up as well. Like that holding of the hands yeah. happened, for example, with Odegaard and Bakayo and Cedric in that area, as well as Thomas and White when he drives. Yeah, like, yeah but, but that's more so in the final third, I well, think. Well, it is, but I mean, then it, for me, the problem's still the same that there's a lot of players in the same yeah. zones, right? Like the fundamental problem of that and, and the reason that one is opened up versus the other I think it has a little bit more to do with just the players understanding their roles a little bit more sure, um, sure. And, and where to go. Cause again, I'm wondering, you've kind of also cited both examples ironically with two different strikers too. Yeah. Right. And two different roles in yeah. the striker. Like I think the reason that we have granite so high up the pitch, by the way, is because Laka isn't a box presence too. Like it changes yeah. our ability to push players high and to push people deep. Like the fact that Laka isn't a box presence means that we can't have Tierney high when Shaka's high. It can only be one because if both players are up, there's an issue da- down deep in terms of who's going to fill in. And so yeah. he, he makes kind of a, an adjustment where he's like, I would rather have Martinelli touchline winger, for example. It could be anybody. It doesn't have to be Martinelli, right? But I have my winger touchline and my eight high because my striker is not a box presence and I need two people up there um, to do that. So I think it's a simple move. Say you have somebody that can receive in that left half space more consistently. Um, you just have to shift things. I don't, I think it's very similar. Like my argument that I use is if you have a four, three, three, your kind of rotation is you've got the touchline winger wide, right? Then on the inside, you've got your winger, let's say, or your eight or whatever you want to call yeah. it. And then deep is your fullback. Um, again, yeah. not inverted, but deeper. That, that's one yeah. rotation, right? Another rotation, which we saw versus Brentford for the goal, was just simply your wide player being the fullback and then your winger inside and then the center mid deep. Yeah. Shaka came to fill. I think for me, number-wise, it's the same thing. I don't even think it's better for or against either way. I mean, I like what the defensive positioning and I've always maintained my pivot persistence is actually more to do defensively than it is to do yeah. offensively. But I mean, it's, it's for me, it's the same down. debate. It's just, we need players that can do both. And if you've got sure. a player that can do both, you basically can do both areas, right? Because um, it, it all depends though, what that striker is going to do. I'll be really honest with you because we, we've struck gold with a right back and Brooke Norton Coffee that I definitely want people to pay attention to. I've been screaming this boy for so long, but he is an option that he can be inside as well. Like he's, he's one of those unicorn players. I call him a technical Kyle Walker and I don't do it lightly because I love Kyle Walker. I think he's a one man transition control. Brooke is in the same mold, but he's comfortable in tight spaces and he can be inside. Like he can do the Tommy role if he, if he was asked to do it. In fact, he's done it for Lincoln. Um, Of course, you know, he's young and, you know, you don't want to throw him in right away, but he gives us an option there that maybe we can have an overlapping right back more consistently. And I, 
And I don't know if that's the way to go. I mean, I have my feelings about what I want, but I, I would prefer to have that option than, um, I guess, put us into one area where we're just, you know, doing the same thing. But eh, it's all hearsay at the end of the day. Ultimately, if Arsenal win, Arsenal win. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. the, the, the other thing is, right, is George mentioned defensively. And I think this is the main reason why I'm, you know, I'm okay with this pivot. In terms of defensively, you want... I think Palace is a good example of this because Palace is um, basically saying you we lost our transitions and that's how we got that draw. So we we yeah. won that we got that draw because Sambi didn't hit his man and that in that in um, uh, I think it was in, in transition to hit the Edward goal. And when you have a single pivot, you're often when you're running in transition, you often have one man. And it's sort of just like you can get, you can quite easily get overloaded in that in that transition. You could sort. Speaking of that Chelsea versus Liverpool game, uh, you can see that it's quite it's quite easy to to see how with Henderson so high, it was easy for Chelsea to basically run through the lines and get it to Kai and basically hit hit them in transition quite often. So the point I'm trying to make is is with a pivot and when you have two man there, sure it may be a slightly more um, dreary sort of build up at times, uh, but the rotations you can do in transition um, going forward and going back means that you're more secure going back. And in going forward, you can always transition to a more aggressive style of build up, aggressive positioning of your uh, of your one of your eights or one of your six eights, whatever, whichever one of you, one of you can, uh, which one ever one you want to push up. So, for example, a granite can go high, or a Thomas can come central with Erdegaard going shifting to the right, or you, you can have lots of different lots of different rotations in that ability. Whereas if you're in a three one six, for example, which is why I was building up the three two five two three five thing, because Pep uses his three one six that is that lost in the Champions League final. Um, yeah, you don't have the same ability to control transitions, and this is why I'm a bit sort of like in modern football when pace and power is so prevalent, and when you have these monsters that are able to hit you so quick in transition you need that ability to not be outmanned very very quickly in the in the pivot for me anyway in this league and in modern football right now and of course there will be another evolution of that that will run into for example a 4-4-2 will evolve or a 3-4-3 will evolve or something will come next to sort of out outdo this current system and then football is cyclic you can keep going through yeah so yeah that's that's the main Mm -hmm. thing yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think we've covered pretty much every possible argument in this one. And, you know, obviously, I don't think we're going to get somewhere. We know that there are some philosophical differences. We could be discussing it for days. But yeah, yeah. I think uh, we should do so. Yeah, I mean, I think we should do some questions now because uh, we had, we, I received, we received some, uh, as Taylor on Twitter, we had some questions. So I think let's get the, the obvious one out of the way. Uh, so we get CL uh, idea window. Go, Karen. Uh, Rice, Gnabry, um, let me think, Messi. Rice, Gnabry, uh, DCL, um, and Ooh. yeah, I think that's good. I mean, um, Saliba how much money would that be? About just under 200, I reckon. I don't oh, think, yeah. I think maybe 180 to 200, something like that. Um, I think those those three profiles give you Gnabry gives you an, a, a a a left wing security as well as having ability to have. Wait, who do you say? You say Gnabry, Rice, and who? 
DCL. DCL. So um, you have. You think that's only like 180? I think that's between 180 and 2 million, 200, especially if Everton are, you know, with the current situation with 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 Usmanov, and if they go down, it might. Yeah, be I, I think that's a 205 window. You think that's Easy. 205? Yeah. Mm. Hundred million on Rice, sixty on Dominic Calvert Lewin, and forty-five oh, on Gnabry. No, 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 no. Ninety, eighty-five to ninety on Rice. Then no, I, I think he'll go for a hundred, yeah. and even I don't that's think he'll go generous. for a hundred. I don't think especially he'll go for all in. I, if, I, if, he, if he does if go for a hundred, I'll, I'll, I'll call. I'll say it's wrong, but I'm pretty sure he'll go for like ninety-ish. I don't. How many central midfielders have gone for a hundred? It's not. It's breaking precedent, isn't it? I think Pogba will be a precedent just, breaker. Wherever it'll be interesting goes. to Probably. see. Yeah. I, I, I see it being 90 personally. And with Gnabry, with his contract situation, I think 50, 55, and then DCL 45 to 50. So I'd say about 190, 200 for me, but we'll see. Yeah. George? Um, yeah. I've said, I, I'm not a huge striker person i think i've said it in the past like i'd much rather confirm it to like 40 million in that kind of uh, mark but um i I think i probably go uh dominic calvert lewin um and declan rice that that those are my two players um and and i'd love to explore an uzman de ballet uh free uh that's not i know it's not a free but in that window for me that's a 160 million pound window. I, I have this thing with Champions League, by the way. I don't think we'll spend more than 170 million um, just in general. Um, and I think that we won't exceed 11 transactions, both sells and buys, because we've never done that before, um, just feasibility wise. So, yeah, I think those are my three there. And of course, we've got Turner coming in. Yeah, Turner about coming yeah. in. I mean, in terms, million or whatever in terms of it is, like so. alternative options, you've obviously got the, the hours, the the Kamaras, you know, these kind of guys that you can obviously have as cheaper um, options. You know, you know who I also, sorry, would also do in my window is uh, Florian Grillich too, on a free, as a, oh, as a backup. Yeah. Uh, I've been so, watch, yeah. yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, in general, my window is Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who I think will go for 60. I'm going to break the bank on Rice. I am in love with the guy. Um, and then I would also do Usman Dembele and Florian Grillich, both on uh, freeze. Uh, that's that's good. I mean, I can't dispute that. Uh, <laughs> striker, I'm still absolutely fascinated by Alex Isak. Uh, the more time goes by, I think it's less realistic that it happens because no matter how 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 much you believe, uh, you know, you're a believer of his upside. If he ends the season on like six league goals, we're not paying <laughs> seventy million for him, seventy five. So I hope that you know, if he's indeed the choice, which it, it's it could be after we failed with Vlahovic. Uh, you know, it could be. So I hope he, because I really like him, I'm, I'm tantalized by his upside. I think uh, if he if he ends the season strong, uh, I think we, we should get him. And he's obviously had a uh, he's obviously had a, a great uh, scoring record in La Liga. It's just this year he's had a down year. Not sure why he's still very young. Uh, we'll see. Uh, midfield, it's I have absolutely no idea. Uh, I mean. I think in terms of like profile, you said, I mean, in terms of what I'm oh, one of one, you know, you said, uh, George, you know, I think Bellingham is like a good shout. I don't, I'm not sure how realistic uh, he is. I'm not sure. Ravenberg you know, some, also, the plan B. Ravenberg, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I just haven't watched him enough, but I've heard really good things in terms of profile. But yeah, with Bellingham, I don't know if Jordan will be willing to part ways with him in the same summer that they lose uh, Holland. Holland. 
Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he's still only like 18, right? So they, they, I think they could get even better, even more money when he reaches. He's probably 19, a, a similar 19. to a to an Isaac in fee, I would imagine. Like even if you were to guesstimate, it's probably in the 70 million pound yeah, mark. Probably, probably. Yeah, yeah. Oh, also, you know, uh, alternative striker. I love uh, Ivan Tony. Uh, so you know, obviously, I did this big, uh, yeah. this big article on him. Uh, similar. It's just. Uh, because I'm trying to think realism as well. I do love these strikers, but if they don't end the season with many goals, I don't think we'll sign them just because, you know, obviously Arsenal at this point, they don't care too much about like how that transfer looks because, you know, mm-hmm. nobody really, want, mm-hmm. no, not many people wanted White, not many people, nobody wanted Ramsdale. You know, we've seen how it works. However, I think when it comes to like breaking the bank for a striker, if he's like on under 10 league goals, I think they're, you're going to face quite a lot of pushback from, from some fans. I really don't think I, I it's mean, that big a deal, to be honest, because like, you see the, maybe, the pushback I, we had I hope on Ramsdale. So. Like, yeah. like Ramsdale, everyone hated, and it turned all yeah. apart from but it's like, on the yeah. screen. But, 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 <laughs> yeah. but, but Ramsdale was like sort, sort of pushed as like a, a backup and maybe future starter. It's not 70 million. Mm, you know what I said this post on Twitter, but for me, the 40 million pound mark is the benchmark for marquee. As soon as you start going above yeah, that, there's yeah, certain criteria sure. that you need to fill. Sure. Um, and I think, but Tony has always been, you know, this, my plan B of feasibility. Yeah. Like if I can't, and he's in that 40 million pound mark. That's beautiful yeah. um, for me. So maybe, yeah, no, maybe, I'm with that. Uh, yeah. Maybe they go down as well. Maybe he's cheaper. Yeah, this is the no. thing. It depends on on who goes down. If, yeah. Everton too. Everton, all, we we talked about yeah. this on another pod. I really think Everton are in trouble, um, especially if you I look mean, at their yeah. I think both are. I think yeah. Brentford are as well, to be honest. But... Uzmanov leaving, like Everton are in trouble financially. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and for my winger choice, um, you know, I've been, you know, I, I would, I like Dembele, but you know, I'm not sure, I, I just not sure if I would pull the trigger on that one because of the wages, the attitude, and the injury issues. If, if you know, if if I know that he's staying fit, then you know, I'm, I'm giving him 300k per week because he's that kind of because he's that good if he's fit mm-hmm. and motivated. Uh, but he's not. He hasn't been in his career. Uh, what do you make of the Chavi comments? Because he's another one of those modern. What do you say? position he was like i i want to stop the character assumptions on dembele he's a great professional and i would want him to to stay like i'm just wondering like he's an example of that modern coach that's in doing a different culture so yeah if you could take away that part does that ease your fear like a lot of times the injury people yeah it's the injuries plus attitude so i guess i would ask like let's take away attitude um and trust chabby who i think He's instilling a new culture, so it wouldn't make sense for him to very good add coach, somebody yeah. who's not in there. Very but, good coach. Yeah. but to be fair, injuries is a very fair concern. But for me, yeah, yeah. do you think it's not worth it on a free, something yeah. like that, when you've removed 800K a week off the wage bill? Sure, wage bill. sure. But sure, but like if he asks for like above 200K and he's getting paid... I wouldn't do like, that then. I wouldn't yeah, do it either, because, no. Because then Saka, I mean, he's like, you're bringing in a backup and you're paying him more than me. It's like, he's going to ask for yeah. like, yeah, I'm, I'm Yeah, 200 is sure. my mark. Uh, yeah, I think because, you know, the winger we're, so, we're looking is sort of a backup option, you know, unless, I mean, unless you can get Gnabry or, uh, I don't know, uh, or Sterling, if you can bring that kind of talent, then, you know, you're paying him mm-hmm. how whatever it takes in terms of wages. Uh, but I think if you're looking at like a comp- uh, someone for competition, uh, I think it's Vila Sar, Watford going down. He'd be a very good choice, in my opinion. Uh, I've said that for nice. so long. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's nice. He's I mean, nice. Are, are we are we going to talk about Serge? Because I think Serge, is, with his contract situation, is... 
I think that's a very viable option. And you know, it's always been someone that has been wanting to come back as well. I struggle that you can spend on surge if you're spending on the striker that much. I just don't Mm. think those two, because we're going to spend massive in the midfield. And I think we just disagree maybe on the total expenditure for me, but Ismail Asar, and, and like if you want the younger version of the superstar winger, it's uh, Sulemana, who I've talked yeah. about a ton. Yeah, Sulemana's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. great. Um, but I, I think Ismail Asar is a very, I've talked about him for years, and like I, I keep saying, like I'm probably going to use the winger, I'll be honest with you guys, with my window for next summer. Like I'm use, I don't think I can get everything if I'm getting the two that I demanded. So I'm comfortable with a whole. But if we do, Ismail Asar is a, a player I love. Uh, I mean, he even gives if you that, don't, that, that, it shouldn't that be. Well it's not that big option. a deal with the with the winger with the winger situation because we have so many players. We have ESR, Nelly. There's a lot of players that you can play in that left wing role, so it's not like we're. Me and Nick uh, both uh, want uh, another player that's two footed on both wings. I think we I all do because I don't want. <laughs> and then play, want, play both yeah. sides because Pepe's going right. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think. I, I mean, yeah. So like that's why I want to finished. Yeah, for, for, yeah, Serge is a great option, obviously. Yeah, for example, like I love Rafinha, but like he, he only really plays on the right, right? So even if leads go down, uh, I, w- is, I mean, if he's like super cheap, I'd do it, but like another option I love. Too, he's Nick, not, is doing he can't play on that, the left. Like another option is doing that hybrid, and I'm gonna put this idea, and you know, uh, our, our good friend A1 is gonna hate me, but you know, a Rafael Leo. For example, someone who's absolutely oh, yeah. elite right now as a left winger, but has the potential to be strength center forward as well. He's that kind of player, that versatile yeah. player. Like he could be like a marquee in both areas, right? So like get him instead of a striker and a winger, you say. Exactly. Because like or, because that's yeah, that's a method. I, I'm not yeah, saying but, I would do it, but it's something yeah, I would yeah, love. Sure. No, because I, because I've seen people say that like get a number get like a number nine and someone like Leao, so you have a backup as well. In mm. case. But I think I think it, like that really kills any pathway to the first team for Balogun. I think for sure. So if you believe in him, you I mean Leao is sort of a is a sort of a similar player profile wise, you know, a technical striker that can play on the left. So uh, young as well. So like. You, I, I don't know. It depends on how much you believe. It, it. depends on. We're going to make decisions. You know, what, season, um, you know, you know what I did. I sent a tweet months ago, and I said one of the most exciting things about this upcoming summer is we're really going to get a finality to Arteta. And what I meant by that is mainly in an attacking sense. We haven't seen a real attacking addition from Mikel Arteta. I don't really count yeah. Lillian, and I don't really count Odegaard necessarily because that's more in midfield for me. Like it is yeah, attacking, sure. but we haven't seen an attacking addition. So a lot of questions will be answered in terms of what he values. And I think it's going to be super insightful because all of us are smart enough people to suggest the profile if you want. We just have subjective wants about what we're doing. So I think a lot sure. of our windows basically cater to those, you know what I mean? And so like when yeah. you have those debates, it, it'll just give us clarity, I think too. The final point I'm going to make on this window is um we really need to uh because the, this past window this past summer was about hiring uh not hiring buying and securing under 23 talent that can take uh through the project for the next three four five years i'm curious to see whether the strategy this year is to continue with that or is it 
Are we going? Are we going for for uh, for? We're going Liverpool yeah. twenty fifteen. I'll answer that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, no, no, no. But what I'm saying is, we yeah. think that if is that still going to be the the security? Yeah. Uh, if that, if that's the option, and we've got to go big, and we've got to actually go for it. This, I this, think that's this what year. we do. We don't do. Yeah. If we do go Multiple, big. We we do two to three superstar mm. quality, and I think yes, Arteta's basically told us that in interviews, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and because that's gonna be that's day. gonna be the key. That's gonna be the key. Is if because yeah. I think for me anyway, tw- summer twenty twenty three is the. I mean, me and George, I, I agree with him on this. We've had this conversation before about um, twenty three being the 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 season for um, slight tweaks, backup signings. Uh, I call it this summer finishes. is the summer uh, is the starting eleven window, Perfect. and then yeah. and the the next uh, summer window is uh, fix the, the backups. Yeah. yeah. And I think score. I think I think that's a tweak as well because I think summer twenty I think twenty two twenty three is going to be a season where we're going to see how far this squad can go and then twenty three twenty four yeah. will twenty three twenty four will will tweak in summer twenty three and really go and push like if you if I'm sure if you see in my Twitter I always think that twenty four is going to be our major headline trophy season because I think twenty two twenty three will be that sort of real push. Next year would be about hurdle. confirming uh, Champions League again, making yeah. that plus maybe a, a smaller trophy, and then the following year would be the title yeah. challenge. Title yeah. challenge, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I see. I even even a, I see a strong title challenge next year, but falling away. But like, I, I don't see us being able to make that final leap. I mean, if you watch Gabriel's interview that he gave, he was saying Arteta's already talking about a top two finish next year. So yeah, uh, let's see where we go from there. Yeah, yeah, and also regarding the the point about you know the age and profile of, of the recruitment, I think at at some point you run into a danger of like of having too young of a squad, you know, mm. and be, because that you that's like leadership. my whole. That's why I I despise the replace party with someone younger crowd. It doesn't make mm-hmm. sense because like, <laughs> first of all, he's fantastic. He's in his Sorry, prime. It's, he's fantastic. He's in his prime. It's not like Obama Young, where he's like he's thirty-two. So like we, he and he's falling off. So we should replace him. Part is like at the peak of his part right now. So I mean, you have to have some players that are experienced and are uh, and they and they've been through a title charge or Champions League win. Like imagine that you know Gnabry has been there. He was a major contributor to a Champions League winning team. Sterling has been competing for every single trophy for the last, I don't know how many years, ever since he was like 17 with Liverpool. So I think signing the kind of player that, you know, uh, I mean, even Rice, he was with the, in the Euros and everything. And this, this yeah. year, they're probably going to competing for the Europa. You need players that, ha- that are good, that have leaders and have the experience. Right, so you know, I think um, it also sets yeah. the culture of the club as well. It's such as yeah. it sets the culture of the club, and we're saying, look, yeah. we are here to advance what you're doing already. We're not here yeah. to try and, um, you know, we're not here to try and learn from you. We're trying to help you take you to that next level. You know and what I struggle with, guys? Like just in in general, there's a lot of narrative online, shock horror, and social media. <laughs> but um, the biggest thing that I've noticed is, you know. Uh, there's a there's an age requirement at Arsenal, and I'm like, guys, no offense, we've gone from the average age of 27 to 23 and change. We've done that. Um, and then there's also the the crowd that's like, well, we need to fix our wage bill, guys. We've done we've that. Done that. We, we going yeah. into the summer, we're gonna have 800k per week freed. That's without sales. Like that's guaranteed that's in the crazy. bank. Yeah. That that is crazy. That is three. Crazy. I mean, what's on Nico 200k on? of a week plus Saliba and Saka extensions. 
That's what that money gives you without sales. So I, I always really struggle when I hear those arguments, kind of like you, Nick, where it's like replace Parte because he's young. I'm like, that's makes zero sense to me. You have a strong pillar in your team. Why are we looking at the replacement right now? What I'd understand is if you want, you know, something different elsewhere, but this idea that, you know, we have to fix the wage bill. No, you don't. That we have to fix the squad age. No, no, we don't. We've we've done those things. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, a key key example is is Nico as well. Sorry, a key example is Nico as well. Oh, yeah. Another... Another 180, 190, I'm pretty sure, off the, off, off the bill it's in, in one yeah. sale. I think Nico's 140, so, but like, even without yeah. sales, like Leno, Leno's gone. That's 100K a week. Like, yeah. Yeah. People, pe- people don't realize, like Shaka, we all think Shaka's gone. That's another 100K a week. Like, uh, and I Leno. always use the eight. Yeah, Leno, another one. Like, there is 300 on very easy, predictable sales. And that's why I use the 800, just to like shut down those feasibility police. Because I'm like, yeah. to start with the summer, have that to your face. That's what we can do. We can do three yeah. marquee 200K K a week, which, by the way, is our new um, ceiling. Without OVA, yeah. Partey's on the highest at 200. Like, we've reestablished that's the ceiling, clearly, right? So, for me, you can do three marquees plus the extensions of Shaka and Saliba. Putting them, by the way, on that 200K. Yeah, yeah. Or sorry, not yeah. Shaka, um, Saliba and uh, and Saka. Saka. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> there you yeah. go. So, yeah. You're right. Yeah. I, I again, I, I don't want to keep harping on this, but the whole party has moved. We've moved that our project has moved ahead of 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 party yeah, is ridiculous to me. It's ridiculous because like party, he should be the standard that our project is going towards. Like party, no, we, our project is not ahead of party. Party is ahead of our project. That's my thing. We our players, like the midfielder, we should we recruit next summer should be aiming to get to party's level so he can partner him. It's not about replacing party with another 21-year-old baby because like we we want to have we have a fetish of like having the youngest squad in the league. <laughs> we like we, we did do. it we we didn't win. do this whole rebuild <laughs> just to have the youngest squad in the league. We did it mm. so we can have a sustainable way to improve. And so, also, yeah, Nick, like that's uh, my whole thing. Really yeah. quickly, too, on the parte part, like really quickly. One thing that doesn't get talked about, too, in my opinion, is Granite Shaka. Um, okay, look, a lot of people have the Bruno Gimarech issue of basically saying we need an on the ball expert, but then excuse the off the ball issues that yeah. you've claimed against Shaka. But beyond that hypocrisy, I really think that the partner that we need to find, though, needs to be a leader that's vocal. That is something yeah. I will say, because the one thing that we have as, as a presence right now with Partey is a leader by action, I call him. So he's not vocal. Right. He, he doesn't need to be, but Granite is vocal and, and he tells yeah. people to push the line yeah. up. And we don't really have anybody on that side of the pitch yeah. that can really do that for us. So I think his right. partner needs to be vocal in addition to complimentary on the pitch, but just mentally I really like yeah. those complimentary profiles, kind of like how we see Ben White and Gabrielle do really well. Um, now, yeah. a big reason is because they fit each other leadership-wise too. You know, like yeah. Ben is a little bit more of the lead by action, but Gabrielle's a vocal out yeah. there. I want to be a leader. Like those things for me, they matter. So I think that partner needs yeah. to be a vocal leader. Yeah. Did you see the clip of Jude Bellingham like swearing at his? Oh, life? that pissed me off. You know it so is. Much. I keep, I keep <laughs> that, referencing. That, yeah, that's no, vocal leadership, right? That's that's not vocal leadership. That's just <laughs> I know. Oh, passion. 
that's passion. Oh my god, oh, that's, that's football. A okay, that's, like, that's football Twitter on a page. That's what that yeah, is. Let, let, sorry, we've been going on for like 90 minutes. Let's move on to the final question. We yeah. and uh, because I, I want to get to that. Uh, it was asked by by David, a great writer from the, from the website. So he sent in the group chat. So he said, uh, considering you have a considering you mean Arsenal, considering mm-hmm. Arsenal have a relatively young and inexperienced squad who has something of a reputation of for being inconsistent at times, how do you think they will cope with the pressure of being the favourites to gain Champions League qualifications? Because like for a while, we've been like kind of the underdogs pushing United, right? And now we are the favourites, you know, mentality-wise, you know, tactics aside, technique aside, ball striking aside, just mentally, how do you think the young guys will cope with that? I think phenomenally, I've tried to dispel these myths on Twitter for so, so long, but just factually we don't have an obstacle anymore nick that we have to worry about we've won consistently yeah. away if we do another win that'll be five away wins on the bounce there is no away who do um, in terms of the emirates it's a fortress again we are up there with third best home record in league uh, both on wins but also just in terms of who we dominate there we have a standout performance against man city when they were at their pomp not a man city now but a man city that by the way were yeah. in huge form so we have a performance that way we've also um really beat the teams in and around us very recently as well and so we have that hoodoo on there but just lastly if you look at arsenal's point tally it's gone beyond just the last 10 games people keep shouting that goal differential but if you go before that the previous 48 games or we achieved 92 points which averages out to two points per game if you put that and you extrapolate that to a season that gets you 73 points so this notion that arsenal um you know were inconsistent. I really push back on. We've been consistent since Boxing Day of last year, and maybe that's like bookmarking things to your to suit your own agenda. But for me, that shows a consistency level over a huge sample size. So um, while I understand the point about a young squad, I think we've battled every single narrative in isolated games, but also just in this season. You look at our consistency against teams outside the top six; it's immense. It's the reason that we're ahead of all these teams. It's the very reason that we're going to get top four, in my opinion. So you, you keep those out in the last 14 games. Um, then yeah, I'm not too worried on the, the young squad not being able to do it. And in, in fact, the Brentford was a big turning point in terms of our line. You know, we've had the same squad all season and we've seen a real progression in this team. I think we've talked about it all pod. People have advanced. You know, you know what I mean? And and, and I do I don't know if people highlight that enough in team projections so yeah we have the youngest squad in the league but hey guys that also means that these guys can learn <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're just they're, they're immature not at their peak for of the rest. yeah yeah like it doesn't yeah. mean that they're immature for the rest of time like we have a changing <laughs> asset you know so um yeah uh, i'm very confident yeah. i mean I'll, I'll just talk about that because george has addressed the footballing points very well i'll just talk about the non-footballing points because if you look at this squad, you look at Mikel, who is who is progressed as a manager, as I mentioned earlier, leaps and bounds this season. I feel I think his substitutions have gotten a lot better. His in-game management has gotten a lot better. Um, in terms of the squad itself, we're looking at a squad that is quite compact. You can see that there's no big egos on that on, on the on the thing on the on the pitch. You can see that the there's everyone is united in, in one front. You can see the unity that is on and off the pitch. I think Ramsdale had a massive effect on that back line. You can talk about how, um, as we mentioned earlier, about the 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 lowering lower difficulty in terms of 
Um, even when we have these, the Liverpool, I mean, Liverpool is in between Leicester and Aston Villa, I'm pretty sure. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah. Spurs is in the middle of um, Man City and Liverpool for Man United. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, mm. there's, it's, it's, it's very much a different set of set of fixtures. And even when we have difficult fixtures, they're kind of kind of sandwiched in a nice, nice little spots, which is, which is nice to see. Um, it's not the case. I mean, obviously we have to, we have to see when the Chelsea and the Spurs games are scheduled, but at this moment in time, there's not really a sort of like big period where you're like, oh God, it's not at the beginning of the season where we had, you know, the, the Champions League finalists and a team that had just come up and their stadium is roaring to go, waiting to get, get waiting to get their team into the Premier League. It's it's a case now where we've got we just have to keep our game consistent, and I think we have the squad right now that are together, uh, they are tactically aware of what the manager wants them to do, and have a manager that is able to adapt his tactics in game and between games as well as having time off the pitch, which a lot of, which we will have more than every team. Like, like I don't know how many times I've seen in group chats, I mean, we, we've all been in them, that we're like, when are we going to get Arteta ball? I'm, so, I'm waiting. I need I need more Arteta ball. We're waiting for this Arsenal team to play. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of like, we're constantly, ch- like, we're, we're jonesing for it. We're like addicts. So it's, it's, it's getting to the point now where you're thinking, hang on a second, we have no other games. We've got a squad that's together mentally, emotionally, and tactically, and a manager that is improving week on week. I don't think there's any worries, to be honest. I really don't. So let's see how we do. Yeah. All right. So it's been a great one, guys. Uh, we we went out. We went uh, went for long. Actually, it's been like a, we always do around ninety <laughs> minutes. Yeah, a bit more. Yeah, I mean, what? Yeah, I was once on the report and it went like for like two and a half hours or something. Yeah, it, it happens. You know, when you have a good discussion, it's gonna happen. Uh, Chalk podcasters yeah, so... like to hear the sound of their own voice. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know that I'm gonna to listen to this four times after because <laughs> we're all addicts, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, I'm definitely gonna be on their own pod as well soon. They're gonna be back here as well, hopefully. So yeah, I mean, uh, before we go, uh, shout out your socials as I do, as you tell me to do every time I get to your pod. <laughs> Yeah, the roles are reversed now. Oh, thanks so much, mate. Yeah, no, thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us on. It's always a pleasure. A great return. Um, you can find me at George V underscore AFC. Um, of course, on our podcast, Ball Over Passion on YouTube or at BOP Footy on Twitter. Yeah, and you can find me at Karen BOP and everything that that guy just said uh, at BOP yeah. Footy and Ball Over Passion yeah. on, uh, on YouTube. So um, hopefully we do need to get Nick on again. It's always lovely getting yeah. him on. So um, yeah, I'll yeah. come. I'll come back anytime, buddy. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so yeah, um, I've been Nick. My ad is NSFTBL, your host. Uh, please go follow us on Twitter at Football Idealist. Check the website uh, and uh, stay tuned for the next episode, guys. Uh, if you've made it through the end, thanks so much for listening, and uh, see you next week.